Hey, this is CJ Zettemoyer, the Next Gen Pastor here at White Plains Baptist Church in Scottsville, Kentucky. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope that this message that you're going to hear today encourages you and inspires you to live out the life God has called you to. So here is today's message. Thank you for being here today. Appreciate it so much. Join us here at White Plains. And uh, we have also a good number of Greg's family members over here, what I call the Splash Zone, you know, for his baptism. And and, uh, that's going to be a special moment, y'all. And thank you for being here for that. I hope everyone received one of these. I hope you do. And um, because this is going to be serving as uh, not only for our our sermon sheet, but also a prayer guide, uh, you know, throughout, hopefully, the time until your new pastor is called. And um, if you do not have one of these, uh, let's see, could we have some some folks ready to, thank you, Miss Vicki, to hand these out. If you do not have one of these, please raise your hand. Okay, thank you, thank you. Yes, I see those hands. Yes, I see those hands. I feel like Billy Graham. Yes, I see those hands. Uh, but uh, yes, this is this is. I hope this could be a useful tool for you. Uh, again, nothing of my own design, but uh, uh, something that I do, you know, found helpful in my life when it comes to seasons of prayer. Um, and when I, I think of prayer, you know, I, I remember things that I learned at the, uh, you know, at the feet of my mom. You know, the, particularly the, you know, you, you pray, you know, before you eat. You know, ours was God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. Amen. How many of you had that one growing up? Do we have any? Yes. Okay, well, there are some. I don't see anybody under 20 who did that. But, uh, okay, yes, there we go, under 20. So also, at, when I went to bed at night, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die. Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. How many of you had that one? Okay, all right. You know that, that we learn to pray by, by listening to certain people and that uh, people that we trust and people that, that become our mentors. And, uh, of course, Jesus is the prime mentor. We, um, uh, we, we find the disciples, of all the things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them how to do, he didn't say, hey, show us how to walk on water. Show us how to, you know, how to do all these different miracles. Show us how to turn water into wine. They didn't ask him. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so when we look at the example of Jesus, we know that Jesus prayed in the wee hours of the morning. He prayed at night. Sometimes he prayed through the night. We find Jesus praying before big events like miracles and stuff and after big events like miracles and stuff. And we find Jesus also praying before big, big decisions. You know, when Jesus went into the wilderness, it talked about him fasting, but usually we find the whole idea of fasting and prayer going hand in hand. And I do believe, as most commentators said, this was a time when Jesus was really laying hold on God's call and what this, God, what this calling of God looks like, him being the son of God. And also, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane during that evening of prayer, where he is actually wrestling with the will of God as it concerned also Jesus' earthly will is his human will. And so we find that Jesus prayed during those particular challenging times, times of, of big events, times of big decisions. But we also find one other one, and this is from our focal passage, Luke 6, where Jesus prays before he calls his apostles. Jesus had a, had, had, I don't know how many, but Scripture doesn't tell us, he had a, a, a good number of disciples 
But out of this group of disciples, he was going to be calling 12. 12 that would actually, you know, be with him in the midst of, of his earthly ministry. And picking up Luke 6, verse 12 and following, one of those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because the power was coming from him and healing them all. Um, why did Jesus spend this dedicated time in prayer? Well, because he was going to be selecting people with whom he would be doing life and doing ministry. And um, this is not what I consider unlike where we are right now. Because right now, we're in a season of prayer for someone to be with us to do life and do ministry. And so when you ask, you know, why, why did Jesus pray? I mean, wasn't, wasn't he just, you know, the Son of God and just bunk, you know, whatever God's thinking, Jesus thinks. We find that Jesus wanted to seek out the fellowship of his Father. We know that, that, that the reason that, that we pray should be the same reason that Jesus prayed. That, first of all, that to show his submission to God, to discover the heart of God, and also discern the will of God. And those are the reasons that Jesus prayed, and hopefully the reasons that we pray for whatever's out there. But I also believe, I also believe, now again, there's nothing in Scripture that, that tells me this, but these are things I can surmise from God's Word, is that when Jesus spent that much time in prayer, he had to be thinking some deep stuff about, of all those disciples who would be the 12. And, and I would be thinking, all right, if I were praying about this through the night, about important selections, about people I'm going to be doing life and doing ministry with, I'd be asking myself certain things. I'd be asking, first of all, you know, um, God, let this be your choice. God, let this be your choice. And that Jesus is praying, God, direct me as to who you would have in this inner circle. Also, that I would be thinking about the personality of each of those men. You know, their giftedness, their passions. And also, not only that, but their chemistry to the team. What would they be bringing to the table? And Jesus, I can't imagine, be going, you know what? The level of commitment, the level of commitment that these men will exhibit. You know, that he would be, because Jesus could discern the hearts of men, but I do believe that Jesus would be looking at that commitment too. And then also, the whole issue of how would they embrace ministry? How would they do that? Would it be something they readily do or something they do begrudgingly? You know, would they be something in which kind of leads into that too, is that how teachable will they be? You know, I don't know about you, but, but Jesus, when you listen to Jesus and read the scripture, it seems like he, was, he, that he selected a boatload of dummies because they're always dealing with unbelief, always dealing with doubt, and also, oh, Lord, I don't understand. But I'm sure that if I were in that situation and saw something so radically different in the teaching and the miracles and stuff like that, I'd go, Jesus, I just don't get it. But the whole idea of being teachable, and then also, um, 
what will they do? What will they do as disciples when they find themselves in seasons of success and also seasons of failure? Because that's something we all go through too. And when I think about those particular dynamics that when it probably in Jesus' thought pattern, I can be putting all that kind of stuff in regards to what were we looking for? What are we looking for in a pastor, a new pastor that we'll be doing life with and ministry with? Um, there was a great book. It was by Jason Lowe. You'll find it referenced in, uh, in your um, uh, kind of worship guide here, the uh, insert. Jason Lowe, um, I contacted him and asked permission that we use his prayer points as an as a springboard for us to look at today. Jesus spent dedicated time in prayer for his decisions about life and about ministry and those who would be walking with him in the midst of this. Jesus himself did it. And because Jesus did it, we need to do it. We need to be the ones searching the heart of God, discovering the will of God, to be able to find the man of God that God has for us here at White Plains. Um, and so, using this as a particular springboard, I'd like for us to use this guide as you fill in the blanks, and if you need help filling in the blanks later on, just let, just use the paper of the person next to you, okay? Just like you did in high school, okay? Um, the, uh, and, and be sure and you have these. And let me just say, this is not an exhaustive list, but I do hope, I do pray, and I'm not going to ask you to come up and lay it on the altar or anything. No! I want you to put it somewhere where you'll pray about it. I'm not, not asking for you to do it continually. I'm just asking you to do it consistently. Consistently. You know why? Because of the success of this process and the success of your new pastor is contingent upon your prayerful support of him. You want him to succeed? Do you? Yes. Just a few, couple of people said yes. Do you want him to succeed? Yes. Okay. Well, then it's on us. The onus is on us to pray for him, to lift him up, and to be able to, to say, God, I have done everything I can do to make him successful in your harvest. Um, we're going to be looking at four different segments in which we're going to be having focused prayer. First of all, the search team, and then the, the pastor himself, and then the pastor's family, and then you, you, as uh, the people he'll be leading and the people he'll be doing ministry with and doing life with. Um, and so, um, uh, what I would like right now is uh, for the, uh, the chairperson of, of our search team to come on up here. If you don't mind, come on up here. And of course, you know, we have Ada Beth, Oliver, we have Faye Barton, uh, George Labotti and Julie Dinwiddie, Brandon Keltner, Jonathan Shane, and Jack Wolford who are on, the, on that particular team. And so, um, I'm going to interview Miss Ada. So, um, is this the first time you've ever been formally interviewed if you've done this before? Yeah, this feels like the hot seat. This, how hot is that seat? I don't know. Okay, all right. Nice. Okay. <laughs> it's the microwave, that's right. You got me on? Yeah. Okay, very good. Well, I just have a couple of questions if you don't mind, Miss sure. Ada. Um, how were y'all selected? Can y'all see over here? I don't want to get, get in her, her line of sight here, okay? Say uh, yeah, so back... Um, in September, when we started forming a search committee, the deacons were the ones 
that selected um, the seven serving members of the search team. And that was based off of, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, based off of the people from the last um, search committees that we had had formed and then um, people that were actively involved at that time. You know, it was during COVID and it was, you know, quite unsure about things, but they, um, the deacons were the ones that selected the search committee. So y'all began in September then? Yes. Um, once Rodney, you know, informed us that they were leaving, I think the deacons started um, that process and we started our process in September. Well, what does your work entail? Uh, well, first, it's getting organized. Uh, we have a church profile that we um, come up with along with the work of the deacons. And that just kind of outlines what, um, just like a little bio on our church. Um, we included in that pictures of the um, campus. We included uh, attendance, budget, um, you know, active attendance during COVID. It was kind of a different situation this time. We talked about what kind of ministries we had involved. Um, and we then, along with the job description, posted that in, I think it's like eight to 10 different places um, that the KBC recommends for us to post. And those are like um, seminary websites, um, career sites that pastors specifically are searching on. Uh, so we organized all that, posted that, um, we opened the job for, I think we did 45 days, y'all can, does that sound right, 45 days? And um, once we do that, we get resumes submitted, we review those resumes, um, and as George Labadee said during this, he's never prayed so much over a pile of paper on a table since the last time he did his taxes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot of review and a lot of um, prayer, um, consideration over those. We narrow those down to 10. If we have 10, narrow them down to five. And then we pursue and we try to start the interview process. Uh, what was the hardest part of the process? And uh, also, what was the most rewarding part of the process? I would say the hardest part of the process is using the human wisdom that God has granted you. He's given you the wisdom that you have from living this life, the experiences that you've had. A lot of us um, have done hiring for our jobs, our everyday jobs, and putting that, balancing that with faith. Hmm. I think that's the hardest part. I think that a lot of times you look at somebody and you're like, I would not hire them. If I had to hire them and work, you know, with that kind of mentality, I'm not sure that I would hire them um, just for my everyday job. But the spiritual side of that is, you know, God's in control and God will put here who he wants here. And so that, that was, that's challenging. Um, the most rewarding part is our team, um, seeing the unity of our team. I don't know if you all remember, I'm sure you do, because it's been imprinted in our minds for years now, but the first time that Brother Phil preached on Ephesians that I remember was that last time that he did. And um, Ephesians 4 talked about the unity in the body. 
and how we should be striving for unity um, among the body of believers and all should be moving forward in peace. The most rewarding part of this team is the way that we haven't always agreed, um, but through prayer and through time, you know, like we would meet and then we'd come back together um, after some time had passed and we would move forward in unity. And that has been, I mean, I've been praying for that ever since Brother Phil first talked about that um, unity in the body. And I feel like this has been a true example of it. Um, it's, it's been a blessing to be a part of. Well, when you're talking about the narrowing down, you know, from the 100 on down to 50 in the hand, you know, handful, obviously you came to one. And you had a, a candidate that you had a lot of confidence in. And um, he withdrew his name, you know, before the, you know, I guess you can say the final decisions. Mm -hmm. How did y'all handle that disappointment? Uh, well, it felt like we got left at the altar, but um, I would say that while we were disappointed, we knew we had done what God, God called us to do. We all met back together, and I remember that night that he called me, which was, it was a tough day for our family already. We'd had a very long day, and it was about 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night, and he called me, and I had to take the call in our car because we were at family's house. And um, I remember having a schedule of meeting that night with the team and sharing with them. And, you know, everybody was just disappointed, but no one was mad. No one was, you know, we, we understood that we had done everything. We felt like we had laid it out all, all on the table. I think if you ask any of the search team, they would say, we fully walked forward together in that with peace. And so um, while we were disappointed, we knew that God was still in control. Um, so I think the hardest part was the disappointment and seeing the disappointment of you guys, um, but knowing that we, we knew we'd done what we were supposed to do, no matter what God had planned for that time. There was something to be done in that time. Um, and uh, Marita, you know, so wise in, in her words, but she said, you know, maybe his ministry was just supposed to be two weeks here. He was definitely supposed to minister here, but maybe it was just for two weeks. Um, but we felt confident in bringing him here. We felt, you know, and so that was, that was tough, but we also feel confident that God's in control, so... So, well, then, what do you think God was teaching you through all this? So, you're, you all remember we did the congregational survey. And we, get, we came back with that summary of, like, what we wanted in that uh, person that we were coming here, that was coming here. Um, he, he checked a lot of those boxes. He checked off a lot. And we, you know, from time, time to time, we'd say, gosh, I mean, like, he checks a lot of these boxes. Um, but I think what God wanted us to see as a church was that, one, we cannot expect one man to be all of the boxes, to be checked in all the boxes. Um, we cannot rely on one person to do it all for us. Um, and I think God also wanted to teach us through that that we have to be ready 
to to openly accept whoever that man is that's going to be coming here. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if we were ready. Mm-hmm. Um, last, last question. This is where you pull out your pencils, y'all, if you don't already have it ready. Um, how can we take care of you and your team in the midst of this? Prayer. Uh, and I know that sounds so cliche, but honestly, uh, ever since these committee members mouth the words yes that they would be on this team the enemy is like all right i'm ready you know he's he's fired up and he has um brought sickness loss uh, just struggles to every day everything has seemed just difficult not easy to get through in life and i always think back to you know he's attacking because we're in a a season of of growth and we're trying to do something for um, you know White Plains and so prayer would be essential um, I, I we would cover your prayers I mean uh, and you know sending encouraging messages I know that's something for me that has been um, very it's been a blessing throughout the you know the week um, getting messages from people and just encouragement along the way mm-hmm. And you have that contact information in the worship guide each Sunday, don't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, and if you and I would say this too, if you all ever feel like there's something you want to talk to us about, you you do have our contact information. We we are all willing and open to talk about, you know, what we can talk about in this process, and um, you know, like what you're struggling with, what you're talking to. I know several of you have done that. Um, and I appreciate that. I, I love hearing what you all are, are thinking and what you're praying and what God's showing you through it, too. Thank you, Aiden. Let's give her a hand. Yeah. Um, so you got your sheet there. Let's look at our prayer points for the search team. First of all, unity. And uh, Aiden, thank you for, you know, giving us kind of validation of that, praying for unity, because what is so important is that the search team itself be on the same page. Because if everyone starts pushing their own agenda, you know, that's when we can become fragmented, and we'll be getting to that a little bit later. But that they'll have the same vision, they'll have the same clarity, they'll have the same expectations. In other words, that with one heart and one voice, they can go, yes, that's the guy. Yes, that's the guy. Yes, that's the guy. The whole sense of unity, not only in the selection, but also in the process, that we're not changing the way we do things, the way they understood that they're commissioned to be and, and the, the process to be, but they were still on the same page with that, the whole idea of unity. Next, prayerfulness. Now, um, I've been a preacher guy a long time. Uh, I've been a minister for a long time, and I do know that I can get in the habit of, okay, the meeting's starting. Okay, we got to pray, and we'll go ahead and just get through the prayer real quick. At the end of the meeting, everybody wants to go home. Let's have a quick prayer. Let's get out of here. And the whole idea is that the prayer is sort of like in class, class, you know, in that on the front end, at the end of it, prayer's like the bell ringing. You know, and the whole idea is that prayer is not, cannot be utilized in its full power and extent when we use it like that. Sometimes we have such a heavy agenda that we do not have time to pray. When in actuality, when we have a heavy agenda, that's the time we really do need to pray. That we, we pray that the search team will have that time to pray collectively as well as individually. 
Also, patience. Um, impatience is contagious. I do, since I retired, I do the grocery shopping. And the first couple of times, you know, where Atlanta would give me the list, Tuesday morning, Kroger, that's where you'll find me. And first couple of times, you know, I'd mess things up. You know, because when you say, half, get a half a gallon of 2% milk, I just grab anything in there. But I found out that I was at the conveyor belt about to check out, and I noticed that it was not 2% milk, but it was just skim milk, which is basically white-colored water. And so I knew this was the wrong thing, but I have people behind me. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to make them wait. Why? Because i got to get my 2% milk instead of skim milk. So I run back there, and it's sort of like slow motion. i got to get the milk. That kind of stuff. And you feel like each moment, each second, is being drug out to an hour because you have people going, where's he going now? And so you have that particular pressure, and so each minute becomes conflated. You know, and you're going, gosh, he was gone forever when hopefully I was able to do that within a minute, minute and a half. But you know what? During that time, those people were impatient. And you know what? What's going up there? What's holding us up? It's an old guy. I think he ran back there. Maybe he left his teeth back there. I don't know. And then, and then the other ones are going, you know, what, what's going on up there? Some old guy forgot something. Another one goes, and you know, it's going back there, and everybody's going, you know, he should have done. He should have written down. He should have been paying attention. Da, da, da. And they start doing all that kind of stuff. And I am fully aware at that time that people are waiting for me, and it makes me anxious. It makes me anxious. You know, the whole idea is that we can be making the search team anxious, and we're unaware of it. We may be in regards to how we pose things. Have you found a pastor yet? You know, there are things that we can say and do that can create that contagion. And also, um, there can be a time, too, in which they feel very sensitive to the point that this is taking a little longer than we expected. And so they will feel that anxiety and worry. And so playing, you know, um, gifts of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. What's the next one? Thank you. Thank you. Patience. You know, it's, it's up there on the top there. The whole idea of patience. You know, wait on the Lord. You know, all that kind of stuff. And the only way we learn patience is what? God puts us in positions where we have to be patient. All right? Discernment. Discernment. Um, it's one thing to hear a pastor write and preach a well-crafted sermon, but it doesn't say anything about how he is in the hospital room. It doesn't say anything about how he is in the counseling context. It doesn't say anything about how he is with staff. And so the whole issue of being able to pick up on nuance, being able to, to be able to pick up on what's going on, what's said and maybe not said, to be able to figure out what is a good decision. And then thoroughness, being able to look back and being able to go, all right, we've covered everything. We've checked his background. We've checked his credit score. We've checked, you know, people who know him as references. And asking those references, do you know somebody else who may know him that are cold calls and just saying, you know, what do you think about Pastor XYZ? the thoroughness of it all. Because you know what? Odds are the name that you present to, that they present to you, you will say yes. Because why? You've endowed them with that kind of authority. I, in my 42 years of ministry, 
I've never, ever, ever seen anyone. I've heard it anecdotally, maybe. But again, I don't know if I trust those stories. But I've never seen it where, where a church, you know, in, in, in my town, my association, whatever, where the vote happened, came, and it didn't happen. Never, never. That it was always passed because of the strength that you put into that individual, this individual team, the confidence that you do. But you know what? We need to pray for that kind of thoroughness and discernment because you know what? Uh, how many people in here we have 20 or younger? 20 or younger, okay. Got several. That pastor could be doing your wedding. Doing your wedding. Um, I'd say that all of us in, our, in this room has had some rub with our spouse at some point in time. No, not me, Scott. We've never had an issue. Well, you may find yourself in the pastors, you know, the pastor, you know, being, being asked to, to speak, you know, to speak to you as a couple about some issues you're dealing with. And you know what? Uh, how many of y'all are like me who, within the next 15 years, can imagine being in heaven? Let's make it real. He could do your funeral. He could do your funeral. And, and so this is important stuff that should not be done lightly. Another dimension to this is that he will set the tone not only for ministry, but he will be doing it doctrinally, and he'll be doing it in regards to his, his identification in the community. And so these are things that are huge. But you know what? One thing uh, that um, is going to be a great impact is uh, how he relates to CJ. Um, one time when I was going through, as, a, as a staff member, and um, the, the pastor that I was called under, I was called, uh, called by him in the church. Uh, he was in his 60s at the time. I was right out of seminary. I will be graduating seminary. And uh, loved him. And a lot of things that I do in ministry, I learned from Dr. Sykes. And I say his name, John Sykes, reverentially. Um, and um, and it came time for him to retire. And then uh, a guy by the name of Bill was called. And remember, that was back in the days when you had the God seats, you know, on the pulpit. You had the God seats. You had your, your, your pastor, the ministry of music, and then me there, the minister of announcements. And, um, and I remember it was right after one of the songs and Bill was getting up to do the sermon, uh, going to do the scripture. That's when you did the scripture and you sit back down and you do some songs and stuff. I, at that moment when the, we did another congregational hymn, I, 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 the water started coming. The tears started coming. Because at that time when he was reading the scripture and I was looking at his back, and I went, I do not know this man. I do not know his heart. I know nothing about him other than what's on the resume because I'd heard horror stories about what pastors, senior pastors can do when they come into a situation that they do not treasure, they do not appreciate how other staff have carried the load, carried the load, mind you, who stepped up when you asked them to step up, who was there for you when there was no one else, and how crucial it is to make that chemistry work. You follow me? I've got a great story, and that Bill was a marvelous guy. And guess what? He did my wedding. Um, so not all, this is what we, in regards to the search team, add anything else down there that you feel like is germane to be part of your prayer points for the search team. 
Next, pray for your pastor. Here's a passage taken from Romans 1, verses 9 and 10. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Why is that particular passage? Well, this particular passage, because here we find Paul praying for people he doesn't even know who are going to be a part of his ministry, hopefully, in the next little bit. We're praying for someone that we do not know that hopefully will become a part of ministry here in the next little bit. So we're praying for him. And so here he is. He's in his own particular context. We do not know him. We have not laid eyes on him. We don't know anything about him. But God is fully aware who he is. So when that time comes, when that contact is made, we need to pray for this man and also his family. But let's talk about the thing specifically for this man. Praying, first of all, for a sense of release that God will give him a sense of, okay, you've finished your ministry here, and maybe this sense of release precedes everything else. Maybe he, that when that contact is made, he may say something like, you know, God has given me a sense of release for, for six months or a year, and, and I was just waiting for his timing and his particular calling. A sense of that, okay, it's time for me to go, and that it's not an issue of, of real heart issues where it's just tugging and, and you're looking at the variables and it's hard to measure out which one seems to be the, the one to go with if you're looking at from a purely human point of view, but a whole sense of release. And then a love, a love for White Plains Baptist Church. Um, that your pastor, the, the pastor candidate, that he will have, when he comes into this place, he'll go, there's something about it. There's something about it. And that he can have quickly the same kind of love that you have for this place and these people. That somehow... God will put in his heart a desire, a desire to do, you know, do life with you. And that he discovers, you know, the people with the different gifts, different abilities, different personalities, such as a church clown, you know, whatever it is, you know, Doris. You know, that, that, you, that he gives you a heart for that. And that you start, and you can see that love for that particular church just taking flame in his life. But also there's another aspect to it, too. In all honesty, pastors can move when they are wounded. When there's been something there to hurt them, hurt their family. And sometimes that's the issue that God uses to give them a sense of release from where they are. But we also have to pray, too, that if they come and they're wounded and they're hurt, that they do not bring a guarded heart here, that you are different that you love and you'll embrace and that you'll care. And to let him not be afraid to love you with reckless abandon, knowing that you're going to take that love as a sacred trust. Not only that, but a heart for Scottsville. And that not only will he give, give the pastor a love for you, but also a desire to reach Scottsville and Allen County for Jesus Christ. And then also a desire to pastor, you know, uh, to, to disciple, I'm sorry, disciple. And, um, and the whole idea there is that with a pastor's heart to disciple people, it's the Colossians passage, present each other, each other mature in Christ. You know, the Ephesians passage, you know, that, that deals with, of course, that uh, we are to equip the saints. You know, that's an important job. That he wants not only to bring people into the kingdom, but that he wants to grow them in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that takes someone who can inspire somebody to want to grow. 
Yeah, some people will say yes to Jesus Christ for, for fire insurance, but you know what? When it comes to actually making him Lord, it's a whole different thing. For someone to be able not only embody it, but be able to make it something that you desire to do, and that he would partner with the Holy Spirit and wanting you to grow to be like Jesus. And then the heart of a shepherd, to have a pastor's heart. You know, Jesus says, we find it recorded in John 21, he tells Peter to feed my lambs, to feed my sheep, and we find that, that a pastor, he's all about feeding, leading, protecting, and comforting his flock. All right? Let's look at our next segment. The whole idea of we need to pray for the family. Pray for your next pastor's family. Pray for these things. You know, we find in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. A pastor, as he comes here, his priority is to love his wife and his kids more than he loves you. More than he loves you. Um, that he made that commitment before he made that commitment to you. I'm not saying he's to love God or Jesus more than his wife and kids, but you know what? He made that vow to them, and God entrusted those kids to him to be the father, to be the lead there. Um, the, um, praying for his wife. You know, when the pastor comes here, he's going to have automatic friends. You know, that, that he's going to have a circle of people who are there to support him and all. Not so his wife. You know, she may come in and be able to slide into a, a job if she's, you know, someone who works outside the home. But you know what? Uh, she won't have a ready-made circle of friends, which means that, ladies, you're the only one who can make her understand how Scottsville works. Where do you go for this? Where do you go for that? Something's busted? Check with him or check with those folk. You know, that you'll be the ones who also will ease the, the pain of saying goodbye to those friends that they're leaving. You, you'll be the one who will be embracing her and letting her know that she's got a place right here. And that, you know, it's not a two-for-one in regards to a hiring when you call a pastor. No. If God is calling her to have a ministry, you know, let her do that ministry. But don't pigeonhole her into something that she's not gifted for and not called to do. Let her be herself in the midst of this. The children, the children we find in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up the training and instruction of the Lord. It'll be a tough move for the kids. It will be a tough move for the kids. Um, and particularly, if they are teenagers, you talk about something that can exasperate. You know, in that passage there, underline that word, exasperate your kids. Nothing to me would be more exasperating than if you are plucked up out of the place where you are going to high school these were kids that you were going to elementary school, junior high, and that you find yourself now, you know, bringing them to a place that they're, that they're alien. They had climbed the ladder to be able to become starting players on their basketball team or their softball team or their volleyball team, and here they are having to start all over again with groups that don't even know them. They're having to prove themselves. They're having to find their place. That can be a difficult, difficult thing. And so when... When God calls a pastor, he's, he's in essence calling a family. And how can we support and love that family? 
and also to let those kids be kids. Will they do boneheaded things? Yeah, but we should not treat them any differently than anyone else's kids. Face it, I still do boneheaded things. And so the whole idea of being able to be gracious and let them be kids, let them be teenagers. You know, obviously, to encourage towards right and correct, you know, as appropriately, but, but again, to allow them to be themselves. Now, okay, let's talk about what we do as a church family. Um, in Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Um, what we should have, what we should pray for for ourselves. First of all, is humility. Without humility, there can be no unity. Tattoo that somewhere on your body. Without humility, there can be no unity. Uh, why? Because humility speaks of self-sacrifice. The whole idea of pride is issues of putting yourself forward. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many, which means that when we look at this, that we put others' needs above my own. In other words, we're calling a pastor who should be not in my best interest, but in the best interest of this church. And not only this church, but the community, who's in the best interest of the loss. You may want a pastor who's King James Version only, but you have to think, all right, what is the best, the best, not my preference, my best, and what, what happens is when we, our desires become demands, that's when we can become fragmented. That when it becomes demands, yeah, we are, it's important for us to be able to share our desires, but when they become demands, issues that can't be negotiated or you know, these non-negotiables or these must-haves, that's when fragmentation happens. Because that's when we go from being a functioning body to a dismembered corpse. And we have the infighting and, and have those, the, the, the factionalism and the schisms. And then lastly, in this particular area about humility, humility, make every effort to follow Jesus. Make every effort to follow Jesus. Okay, next major, major sub-point. Patience. Pray for patience. Um, there was a, I served a church as... Um, I was, about, I was about the only existing senior leadership at that point in time. Um, the senior pastor was gone, worship pastor was gone, and the, uh, the, the teaching pastor was gone. And, um, uh, and, and so I was, people would come to me with their points or their concerns or such along that line. And that was, you had your falling off in that situation too. Um, but uh, I remember, uh, I'll call this guy Bob. I remember that uh, this one particular guy, Bob, hadn't been in church. I hadn't seen him for a couple of months. And so when, when I saw him, I said, Bob, I've been missing you. And he said, yeah, Scott. You know, I said, uh, I probably haven't seen you there in a month. He said, yeah, and you won't see me either. And I said, why? Why's that? And he said, y'all just can't seem to get your act together. And I went, really, Bob? I'm sorry. I'm sorry we come across that way. 
He says, yeah, it's been four months since the pastor left and you still haven't found one. Four months? It's usually a year to a year and a half before you find a new pastor. A year and a year and a half, folks. And yeah, let me just say too, you could find a pastor next week. You could. And hopefully his probation officer said it would be, be, be okay for him to be here on Sundays. You know, you could find one. You could find one. But do you want to find one or do you want to find the one? The one. Um, then commitment. Commitment. That we're all still here, still showing up and doing what we need to do. Um, I, I always enjoy church softball. Played, you know, played church softball, you know, right before I hit until I hit 40. Fadingly athletic. Um, but... One thing I hated to do, hated to do, was forfeit a game. You know, if the other team's out there and only got five guys, you know, yeah, I'm willing to pay, play, but you know what? Guess who's going to come in second in that game? Me. I hate forfeiting a game. I hate squandering a possibility and an opportunity. You know, if you're not here to be the catcher, if you're not here to be on first base, hey, I'm center field. I want you to be there. It's important for you to be there. Because why? Your work continues. Jesus did not hit the pause button when your pastor left. He's saying, I want you to show up because the worst thing we can do is forfeit souls to hell. That's the worst thing we can do. The whole idea is commitment. Your commitment was not to these former pastors. Your commitment was to Jesus Christ. That former pastor didn't lead you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit led you to Jesus. And you belong to him, and he is the head of this church. So I don't want to hear anything. And you're going, so I don't care what you think. But, you know, I'm an old man. Let me go, give, me this, give me this, you know, privilege, okay? You know, I don't want to hear, you know, that, that there's some reason why you can't. There's, there's medical reasons, stuff along that line. But you know what? One thing that blessed me, again, that same season, that was a year and a half when we were without a pastor, is that no one told me no. I didn't ask him to do anything crazy. I just said, need you to serve, I need you to serve, I need you to serve. No one told me no. And, won't you, and that would be a marvelous, marvelous epitaph, a marvelous motto, a marvelous you know, saying you know, here that is emblazoned. No one says no. That we're all stepping up. Not only that, fruitfulness. And the wonderful thing is, you know, the young lady who was baptized reached, you know, through your online ministry and then having this baptism, you know, with Greg coming up in just a little bit, that we still keep the Great Commission the job. Now, sometimes you've got to go, all right, can we, should we invite people to church when we know that the guy up there is preaching is a short-timer? You know, the, what happens, folks, people may come for a, for a pastor for a little while, stuff like that, they like to hear the preaching and stuff. But I tell you what keeps them and grows them is the fact that they've started to know you and start knowing you by name and knowing your family 
and knowing how great you are, how fun you are, and their heart longs to be with you, and they find great satisfaction of rubbing elbows with you on a Sunday, and that each morning when you get Sunday morning when you get up, you go, I'm going to go there and we get a word from God, but I'm also going to be with blank and blank and blank and blank, and then hopefully I'll be meeting some more people, bum, 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 because the truth is, folks, you can get a lot better preaching than this on TV. You can, but you know what you can't do? Is get that hug when it's appropriate, you're not going to be the one who can, can say, hey, how's that going? You know, how's, how's that disease? How's, how's that illness come along? Still praying for you in the passing of your grandma. Still with you and all that kind of stuff. That is what you get uniquely here. And that's what you can uniquely do to be that church that is so winsome that someone, no matter who's in the pulpit, they want to come because why? They want to do life with you. They want to do ministry with you. And protection. Um, Ada, you know, referenced this, that as they're doing their work, they felt the spiritual warfare. You know, from the whole idea of illness to just life getting in the way and deaths and things like that, all that kind of stuff, huh? Yeah. That um, we find in 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. <laughs> the powers of hell feel like there's blood in the water, the scent of death in the air. Why? Because they always want to take advantage. Um, I, I looked up Roaring Lion because, you know, I'd heard certain things, too, that, um, uh, and I wondered why, why Peter used that analogy Satan has a roaring lion. Okay, why do lions roar? Well, um, they roar um, because, first of all, they're trying to show their dominance. That, hey, I'm the, big, I'm, I'm the big cat here. You know, the dominance. Also establish territory. Um, that's another thing that why they, they roar. Um, another one is uh, that what they do, they roar, and the prey runs from the roaring lions, roaring lion, to the quiet young lions, where the young lions do the kill. And I don't know if Peter, I don't know if I'm overthinking this with Peter, you know, that Peter used, or if he was just using that as, as a strong analogy to elicit our response that, you know, a roaring lion just sh sends shivers up and down my spine. But we also know in God's word that if we resist Satan, that he'll flee from us. But I do know, king of the beast, no. The lion is not the king of the beast. He's not. A hippopotamus can kill him. A giraffe can kill him. An elephant can kill him. In the right context, a porcupine can kill him. He may be roaring, but I tell you what, there's a lot of things out there that can take him down. You may be hearing his roaring, but I tell you what, there's one thing that will take him down. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. One thing that can take him down is the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ will exist until Jesus comes in some shape, form, or fashion. It may not be a big, glowing edifice. It may be in a home. It may be in a basement. It may be in some other context. But God's church will prevail 
Satan has no claim over this place. He has no place in this place. And the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything that would bring an attack on this whole process or this fellowship of believers. And that's the truth. And any time that you would think that you could do something to step out of the blood, step out of the protection, no, this is the Lord. This is the Lord's church. Now, we can do stuff to hinder and hurt the witness and the power of this place. Yes, we can. But you know what? We're eternally secure in the blood of Jesus Christ. But rest assured, we find Satan steal, kill, and destroy. He will try to leverage those things to get you as sheep to scatter. And then let there be a spirit of love. Not only pay, pray for protection, and let me go ahead and parenthetically say, don't be used of the devil. Don't be used of the devil. Uh, to, to slander, gossip, malicious talk, hurtful talk, things along that line, misrepresentations. Uh, don't be hurtful in regards to failing to do what's right. It's sin if we know what's right to do and we don't do it. Being words of encouragement, words of praise, words lifting up someone. So those things are important, okay? When we, don't, when we do those particular things or don't do those particular things, we're in league. That's why First John, we read there are many antichrists. Don't be one of those. Um, the spirit of love. And I don't want to say antichrist with that. Anything that's against the purposes and direction and will of Jesus Christ. Um, the new pastor is leaving a place. That, um, that they know. It's familiar. They're going from a known to an unknown. And because of that, it's a big, big risk. You know, Scottsville's a beautiful place. I've been impressed by it. Of course, I've been living in this area since 92. And so, you know, love it through here. And, of course, you know, the lake close by and all that, really nice. And the people, you know, everybody I met, you know, in, in Scottsville and Allen County have been good, good people. I don't know if you had the bad, bad people locked up somewhere, but I've only met good, good people. But, you know, they're, they're leaving a place. Maybe they've always lived in a smaller town, and this, this would be an easy transition. Or maybe it's one of those deals where, where they've lived in a larger town, and it's going to be different in regards to just the dynamics and, and the uh, demographics. Maybe a little different. Maybe they're leaving a place where they've had family close by or long-term, long-standing friends right there with them to be able to help them. And that, that, that there's going to be a real challenge for them to relocate. Now, these are variables that you cannot change. You can't change that. You can't, you know, you can't find yourself suddenly, you know, having beachfront property, you know, there on the panhandle of Florida. You are who you are, you know, in regards to the community and, and, uh, and the town and all. But you know what? There is something that you do have control over. You do have control over this. How loving you'll be. They may say that, uh, you know, that he may in his heart, you know, have that debate, okay, you know, want, you know, want somewhere that all the kids can do this or we can all do that or mom and pop are just down the road, you know, five minutes. But we have no control over that. But you can have this, that White Plains, that you can say, he will never find a congregation, he will never find a congregation who will support him more embrace him more, and love him more than we will. You can say that with full assurance 
That's something you do have control over. But you know what? It's got to be an all-in thing. Because we can't promise all kinds of stuff. We can promise that. That we may not do better. But we will love you more than anybody else. There may be some others who will love equally. But no one will love you more. And care for you more. Embrace your family. Embrace your kids. And help you discover your full potential in Jesus Christ. Because we are indeed presenting each other mature in Christ. Now, that's your sheet. That's your sheet. What I want you to do is that I want you to consistently, and I'm not asking you to do anything crazy like, you know, constantly, but I want that, to be, that sheet to be there next to your bed. I want you to make copies of it, one next to your bed, one in your Bible, one in your devotional guide, one in the car, whatever it is, one at the office, you know, one at the school, whatever, that you have it right there you have right there that you can pray consistently because so much of the success of this process is going to be how we bathe it in prayer and at the end of it all that we can say when we meet him I prayed for you thanks again for listening if you like this message and you want to hear other messages just like this one be sure that you subscribe to our podcast channel And if you really liked it, be sure that you rate it and share it with all of your friends. It would really help us out a lot. We love you. Have a great week.